Well, good morning. It's good to be with you. I hope that you have uh, thoroughly enjoyed so far just being a part of Sunday school and being a part of the song service and just being reminded of the goodness of God. Amen. It's all around us if we're, if we're looking for it. Um, and so I just want to thank you for being a part of that. Praise Him for leading us in that today. Listen, I'm going to go ahead and ask that you turn to Philippians chapter 3. As you're turning there, I actually want to, I'm going to read a card to you. This has no relation to my sermon, but go ahead <clears throat> excuse me, and turn to Philippians chapter 3. And this is a card, as you're turning there, this is a card uh, that was written to us by Sarah Reed. I don't know if you all remember, hopefully you do, but we gave to Sarah Reed. She was a, a missionary uh, in Portland, Oregon. And uh, we as a church collected money all throughout the month of March, I believe. Uh, and we were able to give $2,400 to her for her to... Yeah, we can give a round of applause for that. I think that is deserving. And all that money is going to go directly towards her. It already has gone towards her. But, but she wrote us a card. And listen, we get cards a lot of times at church. And, and I just felt like I needed to share this card with you. And I wanted you to just to hear from Sarah Reed. Uh, what she said, but this is what she said. She said, Dear Fredonia Baptist Church, I am so humbled by how God has used your congregation to meet my needs. I am so grateful for how the Taylors have been such advocates for me in my ministry in the Pacific Northwest. I wish I could fully express how thankful and honored I am that you would give such a generous gift. I look forward to being able to meet all of you and share stories of what God is doing on campuses in Oregon. I would also like to ask that you please continue to pray for my mom's recovery from her quadruple bypass. She's healing, but it will be a long road ahead. Enclosed, listen to this, enclosed is a check for what I would like to tithe back to your church. If if I were receiving this in Oregon, I would give to my local congregation. I am a firm believer that our resources are the Lord's. And when I receive gifts, I tithe back what the Lord has already blessed me with. Again, I'm so grateful for how God uses the body to meet needs. Please use this tithe, wherever you see fit, maybe a a missions fund or local family who needs groceries. I just thought that was a very honorable and admirable thing for her to do, to tithe back to realize that it all comes from the Lord. And so we get to give to others, and they in turn give to others, and that is how the church should work, Fredonia Baptist Church. And so I wanted to share that letter with you. Well, again, I hope you've turned to Philippians chapter 3. I think I gave you plenty of time. I think you probably know where that is, by the way. Uh, But we are talking about running the race for Christ this morning. And just by show of hands, let let me see all the hands that are like me. Because if you're like me, then you do not like running. Can I just see a show of hands this morning if you're like, nope, not going to run. Not going to, yep, loud and proud, right? Not going to do it. Now listen, in contrast to me, my wife bless her, loves to run. Okay, don't understand it, but she loves to run. And so let's just see how many people in this room love to run like Victoria. Would you raise your hand if you love to run? Wow, four of you. Fantastic, fantastic. Listen, listen, I I say all that because the deal is this. Whether you're like me and you don't like to run, uh, or whether you're like Victoria and two two or three others of you in this room and you do like to run, I think all of us would agree this morning that if there was a prize at the finish line, say maybe, I don't know, a million dollars, then all of us are going to be on the starting blocks ready to run that race, right? In fact, some of us may actually have to to go and buy some shorts and may have to actually go and buy some running shoes, but by golly, 
We're going to run that race, and we're going to give that race all we got because, again, the prize is valuable, right? The prize is worth pursuing. Well, you see, in a very similar way, that's the analogy I believe Paul is going to use here as we look at verses 12 through 16 today, except in this race, the prize isn't money. It's not a plaque. It's not some medal that you might receive. It's not going to be something that, that ultimately fades away. But in this race, Paul says, no, the prize is eternal. The prize is imperishable, and it's going to be awarded to us by God in heaven when we cross the finish line of life. And so in this section of the letter, what Paul is in essence telling us is he's saying, put on your running shoes, get out on the track, and run the race that is set before you, because again, our reward in heaven, it's it's going to be worth it in the end. So look with me now at what he says as he writes this, beginning in verse 11. Paul says these words. Paul says, not that I have already reached the goal, I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of it by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward. Now picture a runner now in a race, reaching forward to what is ahead. I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. You know, one of the things that I have discovered about the Apostle Paul as we've looked at him and studied him, and as I've done that all throughout my my Christian life, is, is I firmly believe that Paul was probably, or at least seems to be, an avid sports fan. For example, we know that when Paul traveled and lived in in Corinth, he lived there for about 18 months, we know that he was likely exposed to what was called the Isthmian Games. The Isthmian Games back then was basically uh, biblical times or or their form of the Olympics. And so I believe watching from the sidelines, I believe seeing these things happen as he traveled to places like Corinth, I think the Apostle Paul was inspired by those sporting events and he uses those, those analogies, those truths to, to, to show what he's trying to talk about in all of his letters. Okay, let me give you a couple examples to kind of understand what I'm getting at here. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he says that I fight, that is I, I, I box, not as one who beats in the air. Okay, in other words, that's Paul's way of saying I'm not shadow boxing. Uh, I'm not just going after the air. No, I'm really in the ring. I'm I'm really fighting the good fight by living out my Christian faith. Okay, furthermore, in in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul uses the word picture of wrestling. He says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and, and powers. But without a doubt... Without a doubt, Paul's favorite sport analogy to use in his writing seems to be running. Running. For example, when Paul wrote to the Galatian believers in Galatians chapter 5, Paul says to them, you were running the Christian race so well. What hindered you or or what caused you to stop running the race? In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul says, don't you know that runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to to win that prize. And so all that to say is we come to Paul's teachings today in Philippians chapter 3. 
We shouldn't be too surprised to see him use this word picture of running again because he believed it was helpful for us to to understand what it means to be a, a faithful and consistent believer living out our life for God and what our heavenly reward would be in doing so. Now listen, as I mentioned to you earlier, most races... Most races that you run, they they end up with you receiving some sort of medal, uh, some sort of plaque, uh, some sort of prize. But but Paul says, again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, that if we complete the Christian race and cross the finish line of life, then we will receive an imperishable prize of reward. That's that's what Paul is referring to in Philippians 3.14. If you look at that, he says, I pursue or I I run in such a way to receive the prize promised to me by God in Christ. And so what I want you to understand today is that like Paul, you will receive a reward based on how well you run the Christian life. Think about that. You're going to receive a reward one day in heaven based upon how You run the race of the Christian life. And to help you understand that, what I want you to do this morning is is I want you just to, for a moment, imagine yourself running on a race course towards Christ-likeness. Just just imagine that for a moment. You're you're running on a race course towards Christ-likeness. Okay, so you're running towards Christ. You're pursuing the things of God, you're, you're jumping over the, the hurdles of sin, you're climbing up that hill of temptation, and let's be honest, it can be a difficult thing to do, right? It can be a difficult thing. In fact, it can become so difficult and so draining that you need newfound energy to keep going. You need newfound nourishment to keep running this race. And so with that being said, what I want you to see today as is, a, is a chance for you just to catch your breath. A chance for you to, to regain your strength, to regain your, your composure at an aid station. Because you see, in races, aid stations are set up for runners who need things like water, who need things like energy bars, who need things like maybe medical attention. And in a similar way, That's what the Apostle Paul is giving us here in this passage. It's our aid station because in these five verses, Paul's going to give us five essentials that we need in order to keep running this race of life, the Christian race of life, to to press on, to run to the finish line. And that is what I want to talk about today. So if you're taking notes this morning, I hope you you brought some notes to take with or, or a pen to take take them with. I want to encourage you to jot all of these down. The first one is this. The first thing that that we need if we're going to run this race, according to Paul, is is interestingly enough, dissatisfaction. Okay, that's the first component, our first element, first essential thing, I believe, that Paul is saying we need if we're going to keep running this race. Dissatisfaction. Okay, let me show you. Look Look at what Paul says at the beginning of verse 12. He says, Look at the first word, not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect. And then at the beginning of verse 13, look at what he says. He says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. Now, I don't know about you, but I, but I sure am glad Paul wrote that. I'm glad that Paul wrote that because here is a man who has faithfully walked 
with the Lord. Consistently, since his conversion, he has faithfully and consistently walked or run his race with the Lord. We know that he's planted churches. We know that he shared the gospel. We know that he has discipled countless believers. Yet Paul confesses here that he has not arrived. That he has not yet attained this goal of of Christian perfection. And I don't know about you, but I just find that refreshing. I find that refreshing because you see, up to this point in his letter, you can almost make the argument that Paul already had reached Christian perfection. For example, just in the preceding verses that we looked at last week, Paul says, I count everything that I have as loss in comparison to what I have gained in Christ. And then he goes on and talk about what that is in detail. He says, I've gained the knowledge of Christ. I've gained the position in Christ. I've gained the righteousness of Christ, the fellowship of Christ, the glory of Christ. And so Paul says, I've gained all these things, all these things. And so the Philippian believers... People like us could read that and say, oh my goodness, who is this guy? He he has all, he's he's attained all those things. He's made it. He's arrived. He's attained Christian perfection in Christ's likeness. I could never be like him, but Paul, seemingly sensing all of that, says, no, 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 no. I do not consider myself to have reached this goal. I have not taken hold of it yet. See, I find that very interesting because what it really does, Paul's confession that is, what it really does is it teaches us two very important things. Number one, it it teaches us that, that no one, listen to this, no one reaches Christian perfection this side of heaven. So that again, no no one reaches Christian perfection this side of heaven. In other words, if the mighty apostle Paul confesses here that he's not reaching total sanctification, that he's not uh, having perfect Christ-likeness in his physical life, then we, we ought to realize that we never will either. I mean, we're just, we're just not. And you see, I point that out to you this morning because while I think that's true, there are people on this earth, and you probably have met them as well, who think they have reached that goal, who think they have perfectly attained righteousness, Christ-likeness. Let's be honest, they're, they're a pain to be around. Aren't they? They, they, they are. They, they walk into the room. Uh, they have what I call just the Christian swagger, right? I mean, they walk in like, what's up? Like, you know, I got this, right? Uh, spiritually speaking, that they kind of they stick out their chest. Like, yeah, Jesus loves me. He loves me a lot more than you. You know, all, all, all of those things, and they just act like they, like they know it all. Like they're, like they're somehow better than, than this person or that person when everyone around them in the room knows that, no, you're an imperfect sinner just like me and you need God's grace just like I do, right? I, I think M.R. Dahan, you may not know who that is, but he's a, he's a great Christian author. He said it best when he said this about people who, who thought they had arrived in this way, who, who thought they had attained Christian perfection. This is, what, this is what he said. He said, self-satisfaction is the death of progress, Self-satisfaction is the death of progress. The most boring people I ever met are the ones who take up my time telling me what they have done when they ought to be doing. Mm. In other words, just to apply this to our race analogy, which we're going we're gonna to run with that, no pun intended, but there are a lot of Christians who think they have crossed the finish line when in all actuality they have only begun to run the race. 
or, or, or I'll say it like this, and, I, and I've said this before, but, but in the Christian life, salvation is not the finish line. Where you say things like, I've won the race. I've received the reward. Spiritually speaking, I can just coast now. No, salvation is the starting line of the race. And you have the rest of your life to actually run the race, and God wants you to run it well. So again, realize that, that no one reaches Christian perfection this side of heaven. And the other thing that I think Paul teaches us here is that it's actually our imperfections that motivate us to pursue Christ-likeness and sanctification. Okay, I'll say that again because that's important for you to understand. It's actually our imperfections that, that give us the drive, that give us a, a motive to keep pursuing, to keep pressing on in terms of Christ-likeness, in terms of sanctification, in terms of our, of our own righteousness. For example, have you ever heard a world-class runner say, I'm better than anyone else? I don't need to practice anymore. I have absolutely nothing to work on because I'm perfect. You ever heard a, a, a runner, world-class runner, say that in an interview? I got nothing else to work on. Of course not. Of course not, right? Because even though they may be gifted, even though they may be very decorated in medals and be very successful, they realize that there is always always something that they can work on and grow in to be an even better runner, and so it should be with the Christian runner as well. But you see, as Christians, we oftentimes just have this tendency, let's just be honest, we have this tendency to be running our race for Christ. We're running along, but as for running, we pass this person, and we keep running and say, wow, I'm passing, I'm passing her, and we keep running. Wow, I'm passing him. You're saying, well, I don't know if I'm doing it perfectly, but at least I'm doing better than they are. And so, in effect, we start slowing down. We're like, well, we're doing, I'm doing pretty good. Right? But Paul, in every successful runner, for that matter, would tell you, no, you have not arrived. No, you still have a race to run. You have not yet attained everything that God wants you to attain. And so the point is this. Don't let dissatisfaction hinder you from running the race, but let it drive you. Let it motivate you to keep running the Christian race well. It's an essential component or ingredient. If you're going to one day cross the finish line and hear God say, well done, my good and faithful servant. All right, so we need a sense of dissatisfaction. We need a sense of it to remind us that as long as we're still breathing, We've not yet arrived. We've not yet attained. We've not yet reached the goal, as Paul says. And then secondly, we need to realize that if we're going to run this race well, then we need to be single-minded. We need to be single-minded. For example, look at what Paul says at the beginning of verse 13. He says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. Now, I always tell you this, but if you're one to take notes or underline certain words or phrases, then I would encourage you to underline the words, one thing, because this word or phrase, one thing, is used all throughout the Scriptures. Okay, for example, in Mark 19, we know that a rich young ruler comes up to Jesus, and he tells Jesus, well, Jesus, I've kept all of these commands from my youth. What else do I need to do to receive eternal life? And Jesus turns to him and responds by saying, well, there's one thing you lack. Go and sell all of your possessions to the poor and then follow me. 
Luke chapter 10, we know that Mary and Martha, they invite Jesus into their house. And when he arrives, we know that, that Martha is busy cooking while Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet as, he, as she's listening to him speak. So, being aggravated at her sister, Martha complains to Jesus about Mary. But Jesus responds back by saying, Martha, Martha, you are distracted by many things, but one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen the better part. In Psalm chapter 27, we see David praying to God to be his, his stronghold, to be his strength. And he says in verse 4, I have asked one thing from the Lord. It is what I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking Him in His temple. And so the point that I want you to understand today as it relates to this idea of running the Christian race is this. Winners become winners when they focus on one thing. Winners become winners when they focus on one thing. In other words, if you really want to excel at something, then you need to be single-minded. You need to narrow your focus down to one thing. Let me give you an example. We see this all throughout sports. All throughout sports. Okay, in baseball, the pitcher's sole purpose is to what? To throw the ball across the plate. In football, the kicker's job is to kick the ball right in the field goal or, or between the field goal. In soccer, the the goalie's responsibility is to prevent the other team from scoring a goal. In basketball, the primary goal of the point guard is to dribble the ball up to to the court and to pass it to other players, right? And the list just goes on and on and on. Now, keeping that same example in mind, can you just imagine for a moment what it would be like if the first baseman decided that that not only should he play first base, but that he should also pitch the ball as well. Can you just imagine for a moment what it would be like if the tight end of the football team pushed the kicker inside and says, bro, I got this, and just kicks it? Can you imagine what it would be like if the forward told the goalie in soccer that not only was he going to play offense, but that he was somehow also going to defend the goal and keep the other team from scoring? And can you imagine what it would be like if the center of the basketball team said, hey, point guard, I got this. I know it's full court press, but but I'm good. That would be insanity, right? It it wouldn't work. At least it wouldn't be effective. And listen, the same can be said of the Christian life. The same can be said of the Christian life. You see, a, a lot of Christians who have good motives, who have good intentions, sometimes spread themselves so thin that they are no longer effective at anything. They may have their hand in this. They may have their hand in that. And what they end up doing is more than they should. So instead of focusing on one thing, they focus on many things. But because they focus on many things, what ends up happening is that none of those things end up getting done, at least not the right way, because there are too many things. There's too many things. And listen, before I move on, I just want to be very clear here that I am not advocating, and please understand me, I am not advocating that you should walk away and say, well, I guess I'd be a lazy Christian. I'm really good at eating food. I'm going to do that one thing. Okay, don't do that. That's, that's, that's not what I'm trying to say. That's not what Paul is getting at. Instead, I, listen, I firmly believe that, that God gives us gifts, that he gives us talents, that he gives us abilities, not only to serve our family and friends, 
but to also serve his church, to also serve the people here at Fredonia Baptist Church. And so that's the point that I want you to understand, that, that God equips you, he gifts you, he, he calls you to be a part of certain things, but so oftentimes what we end up doing is we overstep our bounds and include other things that aren't necessarily bad, but keep us from doing the one thing that God has specifically called us to do. See, Paul, he understood that. He understood that that following Jesus and and following the will for his life was the one thing that he was to place before every other thing. And so for Paul, if that meant saying no to certain things, I believe Paul was willing to do that because by saying no to that, he could then say yes to this. And that was not only most important to Paul, but that was most important to God to do that one thing that God had called him to do. I think E. Stanley Jones, he says it best when he says it like this. He says, your capacity, listen to this, your capacity to say no will determine your capacity to say yes to greater things. Let that sing in for a moment. Your, your capacity to say no will determine your capacity to say yes to greater things. So question for you. What do you need to say no to so that you can say yes to what God is specifically calling you to do? What is that for you? Because the main thing that we need to understand this morning is that we need to keep the main thing, the main thing, if we're going to run this race well and pursue Christ. So in the Christian race, we know that now we need a sense of dissatisfaction. We need to be single-minded. Then Paul gives us a third essential that a runner needs, and that is navigation. Navigation. Look at verse 13 again. Paul says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, and here it is, forgetting what is behind and reaching where? Reaching forward, or if you want to say it like this, navigating to what is ahead. Okay, so here's the deal. All of the world is running the race, but not all of the world is running the race in the right direction. All of the world is running a race, but not all of the world is running in the right direction. In other words, every human on planet Earth is pursuing something, but not every human on planet Earth is pursuing the right thing. And so what Paul is saying here is that if we're going to run this Christian race well, then we need some navigation to steer us in the right direction. That's why he says here that that he is reaching forward to what is ahead of him, which is ultimately a reference to heaven, the ultimate finish line. In a sense, that's what he has plugged into his GPS. Those are the coordinates. That is what is steering him in the right direction. But notice now what what Paul says before that, because I found it interesting. Again, he says, verse 13, forgetting what is behind. Forgetting what is behind and then as a result of that, reaching forward to what is ahead. In other words, what, what Paul is, is trying to say to us here, Paul's saying, now listen, I'm forgetting my past failures. I'm going to forget my past mistakes. I'm going to forget my past sins before I came to know Christ. And now that I'm in Christ, I'm going to pursue the things that he has promised me in heaven. I'm going to pursue the things that he's promised me in glory when I cross the finish line. I want you to imagine for a moment that you are a runner, 
and you've been told to run in a certain direction. Just imagine that for a moment. You're, you're running, and you're running in a certain direction. You're supposed to go, let's just say that way, so you're, you're running, and so you start doing that. Everything's going well. But then for whatever reason it may be, you start looking behind you as you begin to run. I mean, can you just imagine what that would look like? I mean, you're running, but you're, but you're like this. I mean, that, that just looks funny, right? It looks goofy. But let me ask you, what do you think would happen if you kept doing that the, the whole time, the whole race? What, what's going to end up happening to you? Well, probably at some point you're going to veer off, so you're going to go this way because you're looking like that, and then you're going to veer off the other way because you're, you're looking back. Ultimately, I think you're probably going to call just fall fat, flat on your face. But see, listen, as funny as that may be to picture, the reality is that many believers run the Christian race just like that. Many Christians dwell in their past. Many Christians live in their past failures, their past sins. And listen, it's impossible to run a race well when you're always looking behind, when you're not focused on what is ahead. You're going to be very distracted. You're not going to run the right direction. And so Paul is effectively saying, forget about those things. Forget about those things and instead choose to focus on what is ahead of you in the grace and mercy of Christ because that's going to guide you. That's going to lead you all the way to the finish line. Now let me just clarify here that when Paul says forgetting what is behind in verse 13, he isn't saying that we should forget about our past sins, nor is he suggesting that God forgets about our sins either. Now instead, I think what Paul has in mind here is that we shouldn't let our past failures or our past sins define who we are today. We shouldn't let them have influence over us like maybe they once did. Let me just give you a quick example. Hebrews 8.12, the Bible says this, God will forgive our wickedness and will remember our sins no more. Now listen, that doesn't mean that God has a bad memory. God is God. God has a very good memory. So it doesn't mean He has a bad memory and forgets our sins. It just means that through Christ, God no longer holds our sins against us anymore, which therefore means that if we are a child of God, then we shouldn't live in our past either. So all that to say that the point is this. If you want to live a misguided and miserable life, then live your life looking over your shoulder as you're at your past failures and sins. But if you want to live a, a victorious life, a vibrant life, then forget about what is behind you and reach forward to what God has in store for you in the future. All right, so to run the Christian race, a believer now needs dissatisfaction, single-mindedness, navigation, and now fourthly, they need commitment. Commitment. That's the fourth essential component that Paul says we need if we're going to run this race well. For example, look at what he says again in verse 12. He says, not that I have already reached the goal or I'm already perfect, but I make every, look at the word, every what? Every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. And then in verse 14, look at what he says. I what? I pursue, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. So this denotes the idea that Paul is very committed. He's very committed to running this race for Christ. Now, if you think about it, no one becomes a winning athlete. No one becomes a, a winning, decorated runner if all they ever do is just listen to lectures by the coach. 
If all they ever do is just watch YouTube videos of how they're supposed to do it, I mean, those things are good in and of themselves, but, but at the end of the day, no one's going to become this world-class athlete. But at some point, the athlete has got to say, you know what, I'm going to get out of my seat, and I'm going to begin to condition my body. I'm going to begin to work out in the, in the weight room. I'm going to get out and start running on the track and do all those things, because if I'm ever going to succeed, then I'm going to have to be what? Committed, committed to this. For example, I think we got this down pat when it comes to sports like basketball, baseball, softball, soccer, track, right? All those things. I mean, students, students, you're committed. You're committed, right? You put in the time. You put in the effort. You put in the energy. Parents, I think most of us would say, yeah, I'm committed to the practices, to the games, to the travel, to the camps, to the money, the calls. But listen, as great as all of that is, I oftentimes wonder if our Christian lives and our churches would be different. Spiritually speaking, we committed to that same level of energy and effort and dedication and commitment that we put in those sports. Listen, please understand me. I am not trying to talk lowly of sports this morning. I'm not trying to guilt you if you're involved in sports this morning. I grew up playing sports. I love sports. Probably going to watch sports later on today. But what I am saying this morning is that in my observation, we're really good at being committed to those things, but we are oftentimes spotty at best when it comes to the things of God. When it, when it, when it comes to, to growing in our walk, growing in our faith, being actively involved in the body of Christ, which is the church. You see, at the end of the day, whether, whether you play sports, whether you are on the bleachers, or whether you could care nothing about them at all. If you are a believer, then you are in the game. You're running the race. And if you're going to run it well, then you need to be committed to that. You need to be committed to that. Paul, again, he understood this. If I'm going to be committed, then then i I got to do all these things. Again, in verse 12 and 14, he says, I'm going to make every effort to run this race. He's not saying, well, it's Sunday, I'm going to make an effort today. No, every effort means every effort, all day, every day, and pursue the prize promised to him by God if he completes it, because Paul realized that if he committed to that, then he wouldn't just receive a plaque. He wouldn't just receive applause from someone else. He wouldn't just receive money, even though that's valuable in the eyes of many. No, instead, Paul realized that God himself would reward him one day for that commitment, for that effort. That God himself was going to give him an eternal reward, an eternal prize. And it was this prize, it was this reward that motivated Paul. It was this prize, this reward that that made Paul being uh, committed to running this race. Church family, I don't know if you've thought about it, I hope you have. But one day, one day you're going to cross the finish line of life, whether it's by death or whether it's by rapture. But you're going to meet or be met there by your coach, Jesus. He's going to receive you into his, his eternal home. And I don't know about you, but, but to me, that's a prize worth pursuing. That, that's a prize worthy of our time, of our energy for us to invest in, like we are so good at investing in other things. And so let's not run this race half-hearted, but wholehearted. Let's be like Paul and be committed to running it well until we meet Jesus at the end. Lastly, Paul tells us, 
one more thing that in order for us to run this race, he's going to give us one more component. And that is cooperation. Cooperation. Look at, look at verse 15 now. I want to show this to you. And, and I'm going to emphasize some words here to help you see this. But Paul says, beginning in verse 15, he says, Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Now, the reason I want to emphasize those words, us and we, to you right here is because I want you to see that Paul is now including the Philippian believers in being a part of this race. For example, in verse 12, Paul says, Not that I have already reached the goal or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I have also been taken hold of it by Christ Jesus. In verse 13, Paul says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. In verse 14, Paul says, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. But then in verse 15, a shift takes place, and I want you to notice it. Paul says, therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. Verse 16, Paul says, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. And so the idea is this. Paul understood that God had personally called him to the race. He's talking about that in, when he says, I, I, I. But he also understood that if he was going to run this race well, then he would do better if he had other believers running by his side. And so what Paul does here is he's challenging us and the Philippian believers to get up off the bleachers, to stop saying, oh, good job, you're running away. Say, no, get in the race. Come run with me. He's challenging us to, to run together with other Christians that we can cooperate, who, who think the same way that we think, who believe in the same things that we believe in so that we can spur one another along when that race gets tough. Right? How many times have we ever run and like, oh, man, I got a stitch in my side. But when you have that person right there, say, hey, man, keep going, keep going. I got you. You're getting that encouragement, that cooperation to say, I'm going to keep pressing on. And so the same can be said in our churches and should be said in our churches. And, and with that being said, can I just say that while Sunday morning worship service, corporate worship, where we're coming together, very important. I'm glad you're here. But just as much as important as this is, we need to also get involved in church membership in Sunday school, in small groups, in mission trips, in other church events that we do because it gives us a place where not only we can befriend other believers, but we can connect with other believers who are running this race and they can encourage us along the way. It, it just gives us a place, as Victoria said, to do life together. That's what God wants us to do. He doesn't want to do us alone. Not one time has, has, did Jesus ever say, hey, run the race by yourself. Good luck. No, he gave us the church. He gave us other believers to say, hey, let's run this together. I want to close today by giving you a, a fascinating illustration. And by the way, a true story. And I promise you it's true. You can look it up. Don't look it up now, but when we get done, you're going to like this one. It involves a, an ultra marathon uh, that's held every year, at least for quite some time now, in Australia. Uh, it's considered to be one of the longest and toughest and just most grueling races in the entire world. Okay, let me tell you how long it is. 500 
in 43 miles. That's how long the race is. Foot race. Okay, I'm not talking about a car. I'm talking about a foot race. 540. It basically just, you know, covers almost all of Australia. So it doesn't take, like, hours to complete like a marathon does. This actually, this race actually takes days to complete. Just, just imagine that for a moment, right? It takes days to complete. Now, you can imagine that in saying that, that if a race is that grueling, that long, then it's only going to attract the top runners in the world. I mean, the world-class runners are the only ones that are going to be interested in that race. And that's been the case every year except one year, and that year was 1983 when a man named Cliff Young walked up to the registration table and registered himself for the race. You see, unlike the other 150 competitors who are in the prime of their life, again, these are, these are world-class athletes. They're dressed in their Nike shorts. Uh, they're dressed in their name-brand running shoes. Cliff Young is a 61-year-old potato farmer and sheep herder from Australia who is dressed in work clothes and work boots, and he wants to run this race. Okay, so you can probably just imagine yourself for a moment. You're at the booth, and you have all these fit dudes or girls, whoever it is, right, come out, they're registering, and then here comes and walks Cliff Young, a 61-year-old potato farmer and sheep herder in work boots, in work clothes, and saying, uh, sign me up as well. I mean, that's just, that's just insane. It's just insane. Now, let me just give you um, a brief history or just backstory of, of this man named Cliff Young. Cliff Young grew up on a 2,000-acre farm, and he was in charge of overseeing 2,000 sheep. Okay, 2,000-acre farm, 2,000 sheep. That was his responsibility. I know that may not sound very impressive to you at first, but realize that Cliff was very poor. His family didn't have a lot of money, which meant he didn't have animals to help him with this. He didn't have that horse. He didn't have that four-wheel drive vehicle to help him herd the sheep. And so what Cliff Young would do is he would personally run around the field and herd the 2,000 sheep himself. And get this, it would sometimes, according to him, take him days to do this. Okay, now back to the race. So the runners line up. The gun goes off. Everyone starts sprinting, right? These world-class runners, they're, they're sprinting, except Cliff Young. Because instead of sprinting like everyone else does, Cliff Young is doing this odd shuffle as he runs. In fact, again, you can look this stuff up. It's been coined, the Cliff Young Shuffle. I kid you not, it looked something like this. Please don't laugh too hard. Then this is basically what he's doing. He's just kind of shuffling his feet like he's riding a pony or something. I don't know. Right? He's doing that for 543 miles. And so you can imagine as the gun goes off and everyone's just running and, and Cliff Young's doing his shuffle, people are laughing at this dude. Who is this dude? He's 61. He's a sheep herder. Right? Who is this guy? But get this. Get this. Five days, 15 hours, and four minutes later, Cliff Young shuffles across the finish line in first place. Not only did he get first place, but second place, the nearest runner, came in nine hours and 56 minutes behind him. Now, I know you're probably wondering, how in the world did he do that? Because if he ran like that, I don't see how that's possible, right? What was his secret? Well, let me just briefly tell you what it was. To run this ultra marathon, the runners had to be, or they, they trained themselves 
to basically be able to run for, for uh, 18 hours, and then they would sleep for six hours. Hey, just imagine that. You're running for 18 hours. Most of us can't run 18 minutes. But they're running 18 hours, and then they're sleeping six hours. And they wake up, I'm going to run 18 hours today, I'm going to sleep for six. And they keep repeating that process until they're done. Well, guess what? No one told Cliff Young that. No, no, one, no one, hey, Cliff, this is what you do. No, Cliff, he's just, he's just shuffling. And Cliff Young never once stops. Not one time does he sleep. He, he gets first place. He wins by a landslide, and he becomes a national hero. It's an amazing, an amazing story. You, you honestly should look it up. What's my point, though? What's my point? Well, my point is this. The point that I want you to understand is that victory does not come by sprinting. It comes by endurance. Victory in the Christian life, running the race, does not come by sprinting. It's flashy. looks good. It comes by endurance. Hebrews chapter 12 says, Let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us, and let's run with endurance the race that is set before us. In other words, the, the, the Christian life is, is not a, a hundred-yard dash or even a marathon, for that matter. The Christian life is it's an ultra-marathon that demands our endurance. And so listen, all that to say, all that to say, if all you got this morning is the Cliff Young shuffle and you're just limping along but you're still pressing on, I want you to know that's good enough. I want you to know that God is going to honor you for that. It may be tough, it may be difficult, but if you are still pressing on towards Christ's likeness, pursuing the goal of being like Christ, then God is going to honor you. He's going to reward you. And I want you to know that He wants you to keep running this race, one step or one shuffle at a time. Amen? So on your mark, get set, let's pray.